John chapter 20. Is there enough for everyone? And then, Kevin, if there's any extra, you can just lay them right there on the steps. That'd be great. Thanks, guys. Everyone get one? All right. Well, believe it or not, we are on the home stretch in the Gospel of John. And it might surprise you to learn that this is sermon number 75 in the Gospel of John. That was a little bit shocking when I looked at that. In our passage this morning, we find one of the disciples who is himself locked in Doubting Castle, just like in Pilgrim, uh, in the story of Pilgrim's Progress. The disciple's name is Thomas. You know him as Doubting Thomas. And as we open the Word of God this morning, I want you to pay very close attention to the struggle that ensues in one of Jesus' disciples, that is Thomas. And in the process, we will learn how the Lord Jesus Christ relates to this man, how he shows mercy and grace to a man who is wrestling with unbelief. And I believe the reason... But this story is so important for each of us this morning is that each of us have a little doubting Thomas in us. Wouldn't you agree? In fact, I think some of us have a lot of doubting Thomas in us. You see, every time we doubt the promises of God, we become like doubting Thomas. Every time we question the goodness of God, we become just like Thomas. Every time we demand proof from God, we become like Doubting Thomas. Every time we refuse to believe a doctrinal truth, and you pick the doctrine. Some would say it's the doctrine of hell. Others would say it's the sovereignty of God. Others would say it's six-day creationism. Others would say it's the doctrine of predestination or the doctrine of reprobation. Whatever the doctrine is, if you say, God, I don't believe that doctrine, you too are like Doubting Thomas. The simple fact is this, as sinners on the other side of the cross, on our way to the celestial city, we all battle with unbelief like doubting Thomas. Now, there are different kinds of people. There are people who are not yet Christians. That's some of you this morning. If you have not yet given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, you battle with the ultimate form of unbelief. It's the sin of unbelief that will result in an eternity in hell, apart from the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there are Christians who also battle with the sin of unbelief, but they struggle merely to, to trust God in the daily grind of life. The opposite of unbelief, as you're well aware of, is faith. And so the question I want to pose today is, exactly what does faith accomplish? Exactly what does faith accomplish? Will you, uh, with your Bibles open before you, stand with me as we read John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hands in his side, I will never believe. 
Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We pray with me. Father in heaven, it is so easy to to point the finger of blame at doubting Thomas, but we recognize that each of us struggle in similar ways. God, I pray for those who are not yet Christians that today they would recognize the the ultimate sin of unbelief, that perhaps today would be the day of salvation. For the rest of us who are followers of Jesus, as we struggle with unbelief, as we struggle with trusting the promises of God, as we struggle with uh, remembering, as Christian did in the story, that we possess the key of faith, God, may these truths become alive in our hearts, in our minds today. I pray as we pray so often here at Christ Fellowship that you would encourage your people, that you would help them to remember this blessed key of faith that is theirs in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the title of the message, as you might have guessed by this point, is The, the Key of Faith, Unlocking the Door to Doubting Castle. And last week, we found the Lord Jesus Christ appearing before the disciples in what you remember was a locked room. And we said that was significant, where he consoled them, he convinced them, he commissioned them, and he challenged them to receive the Holy Spirit. And the disciples told Thomas, that's implied in the text today, about the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. But Thomas was emphatic. He is emphatic and he says, unless I see his hands on the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. These are the words that struck me as I studied this passage. I will never believe. Can you relate to Thomas? I don't know how many times I've talked to people over the years and they say things like, prove it. Or if Jesus showed up and stood before me, I would believe it. God, prove it. Otherwise, I refuse to believe. We say things like, God, give me my dream job and I will believe. Or help me to become independently wealthy, then I will become a Christ follower. Or Once again, reveal yourself personally to me and physically to me, and then I will believe. Do a miracle for me, God, or and I will believe. Or grant my prayer request, or I refuse to believe. The Lord Jesus Christ has an amazing opportunity to minister to a man in this story who wrestles mightily with the sin of unbelief. 
Once again, and I find it fascinating, we find the disciples, this time with Thomas, because our story tells us that in the previous exchange, last week's narrative, Thomas was not with the disciples. We find the disciples now with Thomas locked in a room. And I find that significant once again because this miracle is not neglected, but it is, it is completely overlooked by the Apostle John. And we're not sure why that is. Because as they stand in the locked room, Jesus suddenly appears. And so we see that Jesus in his post-resurrected, glorified body has that ability to make it into a room without knocking on a door. He actually appears before the disciples. And while John does not record the reaction of the disciples, my suspicion is the reaction of these men was mouth to the floor in awe faith, except for Thomas. Apparently, Jesus knew that Thomas was wrestling with the notion of the resurrection. He wrestled with with believing that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And how does Jesus respond? He says once again, peace be with you. And then he looks at Thomas and he says, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And so we are forced to ask this question, what exactly does faith accomplish? There's two things that we see in this passage today that faith accomplishes, and they are world-shattering, earth-moving truths. The first is this, faith in Jesus Christ glorifies Jesus Christ. This is very similar to what Keith hinted at a moment ago when he said that when we obey God, when we believe in God, it brings God pleasure. Here we see something similar. Faith in Jesus. Believing in Jesus glorifies Jesus. Last week I made reference to commands and how preachers like commands because commands preach And what's interesting is you can go sentence after sentence, sometimes even paragraphs in the Greek language and never find a command. What's interesting is we come to this section of Scripture, John chapter 20, verse 27. If you would look at it with me, we find five imperatives in verse 27. Reading in the English, it's a little bit uh, more difficult to discern. But as we look at the Greek text, we see that there are five imperatives, five commands. And I want to spell those commands out and make special reference to the last one. Command number one, verse 27. Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here. This is not a suggestion. This is a command that he gives to Thomas. Secondly, he says to Thomas, see my hands. In other words, gaze with your eyes at my hands. Number three, he says, put out your hand. Put out your hand. Number four, he says, place it by my side. And these are all things that that Thomas can easily do. He can easily accomplish. And then the fifth imperative, the, the one that we want to focus on for a moment is this. He says in verse 27 to Thomas, Do not disbelieve, but believe. I want to remind you this morning that never, 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 never does God call His people to blind faith. One of my favorite authors is a woman by the name of Nancy Piercy. 
And Nancy Piercy's first book that really put her on uh, the map in terms of the publishing world was her book, Total Truth. And Nancy Piercy talks about being raised in a Lutheran home. And talks about her experiences as a, as a young high school student and how she had questions about the Christian faith and she would go to church leaders and she would ask questions. And if you know anything about Nancy Piercy, she's a brilliant woman. And my suspicion is she was uh, just as brilliant when she was, oh, but a high school student. And she would ask these probing questions about the Bible, about salvation, about the character of God, about the purposes of God. And here is the response she received. Oh, Nancy, just believe. Have you ever heard that before? Just believe. And this might become a little bit uncomfortable for you, especially if you're parents and you have children who ask similar questions. And you just say, oh, just believe. That is what we refer to as blind faith. And God never, never, never calls us to blind faith. By definition, faith is rooting ourselves in doctrinal reality, in historical reality, where we see a body of truth. And on the basis of what we see, on the basis of what we discover, we can say, on that basis, I believe. I believe. Last week, we found Jesus appearing before the disciples, as as I said, in this locked room. And Jesus invites Thomas to engage his senses with these imperatives. He invites them to confirm the reality that stands before him, namely that Jesus Christ is alive that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And as we study this narrative for a few moments this morning, I want you to remember and to recognize the, the amazing mercy and grace and patience that Jesus has with this man who doubts so much, the man who we have referred to as Doubting Thomas. Now, if you look at verse 27 and remember the fifth imperative, Jesus tells Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. And I want to pay careful attention to those words for a moment. First, the word disbelieve. I want to make some very specific observations about this word. First of all, and I mentioned this a moment ago, when Jesus says, do not disbelieve, but believe, this is not a suggestion. This is not something he wants Thomas to think about. He says, this is a command uttered forth from the the lips from the second member of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to remember as as we move forward, just for a moment, we'll focus on disbelieving in in a second. To believe, to believe is more than mere belief. Does that make sense? When I ask you, for instance, and I, I would ask for full audience participation, okay? Raise your hand if you're going to participate. Okay, good. What about the rest of you? Okay. Baptists are usually, yeah, okay. I want to ask, how many of you believe that Vladimir Putin, that Vladimir Putin is the current president of the Russian Federation? How many of you believe that? Okay, those of you not raising your hand, what's going on here? Once again, how many believe Vladimir Putin is the... Whether or not he should be or not is not the issue. You believe he's the president of the Russian Federation. This is an undisputed fact. And most of you, by virtue of your raised hand, admitted, yes, I believe that Vladimir Putin is the president. Question number two, a little bit more challenging. 
And be very careful on this, especially in America. How many of you believe in Vladimir Putin? You believe in him. No one's raising their hand. And so the first question is, do you believe he's the president of the Russian Federation? And most of you raise your hand. But when I say, how many of you believe in Vladimir Putin? That is, how many of you place your trust in Vladimir Putin? I'm very encouraged to see that not one of you even flinched when I asked that question. The Greek term pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, is translated believe. It means to trust in someone. Pistis. Let's look at it on the screen. When we take the word that means to believe and we put the, the Greek alpha, which is the, the English A in front of pistis, let's do that and see what it looks like. That is a pistis. What do you think that means? That means to refuse to believe. It's kind of like if I asked, how many of you are theists? You would raise your hand and say, yes, I believe in one God. And if I said, how many of you are atheists? I hope you would not raise your hand. That believes you, means you don't believe in a God. And so this is the word that we find in John twenty twenty seven when Jesus tells Thomas to not disbelieve, but to believe. Here's what Jesus is saying to Thomas. And it's what he says to every one of us. He says, flee from unbelief. Run from unbelief. Do everything that you know to do to, to root out the sin of unbelief from your heart. John Piper has said that unbelief is turning away from God and his son in order to seek satisfaction in other things. Or the writer of Hebrews says it this way, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. When doubt enters your mind, turn your attention to the promises of God. When fear invades your soul, turn your attention to the promises of God. When anxiety crushes your spirit, bank on the promises of God. The antidote for unbelief is faith, what we're calling the key of faith. Now, I want to turn your attention uh, for a moment to the word believe. As I've already mentioned, to believe means far more than merely believing a given reality or a fact. To believe, in this sense, means to place faith in someone. To place faith in someone. Kirk, would you be willing to help me out this morning? I didn't ask Kirk this. He's totally shocked. Come on up. And what I want to do is I, I want to gauge the faith of Kirk Veldman. And don't be too nervous. It's not your theological faith. I know quite a bit about that, I think. I want to gauge your faith for this chair. And in order to do that, I want to ask a, a series of questions because saving faith, in this sense, in the chair, involves three very important elements, and we're going to put those on the screen for you. Number one, Faith involves this. Let's look at it, Nathan. Faith involves knowledge. Knowledge. Now, the knowledge, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ask you the questions. I'm just going to tell you a few things and you can respond. You good with that? Yeah. You look nervous. I'm good. Okay, all right. Okay. This is a chair made of wood. This is a chair that has four legs. 
And I'll tell you a little bit about this chair. This is the chair that I sat on when I led worship at our previous church. And underneath the chair, you can see all the members of the worship team signed it. This is a very special chair. Don't steal it. Would you say, based on what I've told you, that you would have knowledge about that chair? You say, yeah, Pastor Dave, it's, it's wood. It has four legs. You're good with that? Does, does Kirk have faith in this chair? At that level, you would say, yes, he does. But there's another element of faith that we need to recognize. That is what we call the content of faith. It would be one thing for Kirk to say, I, yes, Pastor Dave, I realize, I, I, I see that it is made of wood and it has four legs and it, it looks pretty sturdy. You're, you still are nervous, aren't you? You wonder, this, this is like a trick, right? But... Do you believe in your heart? I mean, you said in your head, yeah, four legs, wood, looks sturdy. He thinks I'm going to play a trick on him, but I promise you I'm not. Would you say you believe in your heart? You have the content of faith that all these things are true. Okay. This is where it can get tricky because Kirk and I didn't do any advanced preparation for this. There's a third element of faith, and it's to actually trust a thing or a person. Now, Kirk could say, I believe it has four legs. I believe it's made of wood. I, I believe it in my heart. I'm banking on it. And if I say, Kirk, are you willing to sit on the chair? If Kirk said, no, Pastor Dave, I don't trust you. So I, I can just see it. I can see it in, in his expression. Like, I, I don't know. So you're going to make this into an illustration where I'm going to fall flat on my face and then say, I don't have faith. I can assure you I won't. But if Kirk said... I, I believe in my head, I cherish it in my heart, but I refuse to sit down. Theologically, he would lack saving faith. Now, do you think, are you willing to go out on a limb and, and trust the chair? Ah, well, isn't that interesting? That's what Jesus said. Touch, touch my head. You did it. You did it. Now, let's see if you have saving faith in the chair. Would you give him a hand? All right. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ involves knowing doctrinal propositions about him, cherishing those doctrinal propositions about him, and entrusting ourselves to a person. Do you know that all around the world there are people who say, I, I believe in Jesus in their heads. They, they understand the, the realities that he was a man who actually lived. They could even say he was the God-man. They could say they cherish him in their hearts, but they say, I refuse to entrust myself to him. Those people lack saving faith. And so throughout the scripture, believing in Jesus becomes this constant theme. In John chapter 1, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. Or Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. John 8.24, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That is, unless you embrace that doctrinal knowledge and cherish that knowledge in your heart and entrust yourself to a person, Jesus says, you will die in your sins. You know the verse well in Acts 16.31, Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Or Romans chapter 4, Paul says it like this, 
What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. The one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is the essence of Jesus' command in verse 27 to Thomas and to us. Do not disbelieve. But believe. Now, after Jesus spells out those five imperatives, it's very interesting because after the five imperatives, there's one response. There's one response, and the response of Thomas should shake us to our very foundations because the words of Jesus gripped his heart. Look what Thomas says in verse 28 Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. You see, Jesus overcomes all of doubting Thomas's objections. He overcame all of Thomas's unbelief. And the, the question for us this morning is, what is it that prevents you from believing? What is it that, that's preventing a full-orbed faith in you right now? What is it that, that's preventing you from, from completely trusting Jesus with everything in your life? What is it that's holding you back from a, a robust faith in Jesus? I believe that just as Jesus overcame the objections of doubting Thomas, he is committed to overcoming all of our objections as well. This morning, if you are not a follower of Christ, my question is simple, and I give you a very strong challenge. What are the roadblocks that keep you from becoming a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? When my wife became a Christian, over 25 years ago, she was at a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese in Portland. It's a great place to become a Christian, Chuck E. Cheese. And her youth pastor, who had shared the gospel with her several times, shared it once again and said to Jereen, Jereen, is there anything that would prevent you from following Christ right here at Chuck E. Cheese? Jereen's response was, no, I can't think of anything. And he led her in a prayer, and her life was radically changed and transformed. You see, faith in Jesus Christ glorifies Jesus. But I want you to see a second lesson that Thomas learned, and that is that faith in Jesus also results in great blessing. Faith in Jesus results in blessing. It's what I like to call the blessing of believing. Where Jesus graciously showed Thomas the, the wounds in his hands and the wound in his side. But he continues, if you read between the lines, he continues to, to chip away at the unbelief of Thomas. He says this, have you believed because you have seen me? In other words, is faith dependent on sight? You remember Polar Express? Seen. He is believing. I want to tell you this morning, nothing could be further from the truth. Why? The Apostle Peter affirms it. He says in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. I want to ask you, is seeing believing? No. No, we should never teach our children that seeing is believing. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. Jesus says in verse 29, Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. The word blessed, Keith referred to it a moment ago, and I appreciate it a great deal. It means to be filled with joy. It means to be filled with happiness. And isn't that exactly what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 8, 9, when he says, when you believe in Jesus, that you will rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with joy. Do you remember when you became a Christian? And the joy overflowed. You wanted to tell everyone about it. What happened? Why am I so passive now? Why am I so reluctant to share that good news because faith in Jesus results in great blessing. There are six principles I want to leave you with this morning, principles that I trust will encourage you and and help to instruct you in the Christian faith. And the first is the most basic of all of them, and that is that the key of faith, the key of faith is a simple faith. The key of faith is a simple faith. We are called to simply believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved. Secondly, the key of faith brings authentic joy. The key of faith brings authentic joy. See, we are filled with joy as we stand as forgiven sinners before a holy God. We are filled with joy as we stand reconciled before this holy God. We are filled with joy as we enjoy the unhindered love of a thrice holy God. Number three, I want you to see that the key of faith is prompted by others who have walked with Jesus. That is to say, as you walk, as you observe and watch others live the Christian life, it sparks faith in you. It it inspires you, if I might use that word. And so those of you who are older and have walked with Jesus for some time, remember the younger generation is watching how you live the Christian life. What do you say? What do you do? What does your Bible reading look like? Are you committed to prayer? Are you committed to the local church? Or do you come once every other four months? Are you committed to the local fellowship here at Christ Fellowship? Number four, the key of faith is focused squarely on the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you look with me at verse 31? John says, but these are written so that you may believe. There's our word again, pistis. You may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Number five, the key of faith unlocks the prison door, just like in Pilgrim's Progress. You remember Pilgrim and Hopeful were locked in Doubter's Castle, and they were there for three or four days. And then one morning, Pilgrim awoke, and he realized, and this is the the Dave Steele revised revised translation, right? I am such a dummy. The key of faith has been in my pocket this whole time. All I need to do, do is pull it out, stick the key of faith in the door, and we're free. The key of faith, you see, unlocks the prison door of sin and offers peace and forgiveness with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, number six, the key of faith, I want you to see, is the central theme of John's gospel. 
The reason I wanted to make reference to 75 sermons in the Gospel of John over 20 chapters is this. We have come to the, the all-important verse. It's a, it's a crucial verse in verse 31 where we realize this, that the key of faith is the central theme in John's Gospel. I write all these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. That is the burden of the Apostle John. That is the burden of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's my burden today. The truth point is this. Sinners who trust Jesus glorify Him and receive a great blessing. John Bunyan's character, once again, found himself locked away in Doubting Castle. And Christian uttered these words. He said, What a fool I am to lay here in a stinking dungeon when I could have just as easily walked in freedom. In my coat next to my heart, I have a key called promise. And I am persuaded that it will, it will open any lock in Doubting Castle. Do you know that people all over America spend literally thousands of dollars to find this key? And this key is available for free as we trust in the almighty promises of God. The Bible teaches this, that every person is born into this world a sinner. And that is that every person, as we talked about in Veritas this morning, every person is, is incarcerated in Doubter's Castle. We are enchained in sin. And I want you to understand the implications of what it means to be a prisoner of sin. What theologians refer to as total depravity. One writer says we should understand our total depravity consists primarily in heaping the greatest insult upon God by refusing to regard him as trustworthy. And I want you to think about the doctrine of sin for a moment. Most of us understand sin means this. It means missing the mark. That's a good definition of sin, but it doesn't go far enough. Others of us have been raised with a definition that says sin is doing wrong. And there's nothing wrong as far as it goes to say that sin is wrong or say that sin dishonors God. But what Daniel Fuller does here is he... He, he opens the screen door and he helps us to see the magnanimity of sin. That we should understand our total depravity primarily to consist in heaping the greatest insult upon God by refusing to regard him as trustworthy. Here's what the sinner does. God, I see the key of faith. You know what I think about the key of faith? That's garbage. That's what I think of the key of faith. Fuller says this, when you refuse to regard God as trustworthy, you bring great dishonor on a holy God. This writer goes on to describe the unbelievable implications of refusing to regard God as trustworthy. He says this, so the, the enormity of people's total depravity consists both in treating God in the worst possible way, and deterring others from knowing the unsurpassed blessing of having, having him work for them, to do them good with his whole heart and soul. You see, when you take the key of faith and you chuck it against the wall and say, God, I don't believe you, other people see you do that. And they say, I think I'll join in that sinful parade. And you bring others, you encourage others down that path. Fuller concludes, the enormity of such a crime 
therefore, requires a punishment having a corresponding severity. And the Bible's teaching that this punishment consists is eternal punishment in hell, has the corresponding severity. We therefore conclude that it is just and right for God to consign the unrepentant to an eternal hell. And so John utters these words. But these are written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Sinners who trust Jesus glorify Jesus and receive a great blessing. This morning, have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have life in his name? Trusting Jesus, trusting Jesus is the key of faith. He alone, he alone, not psychology, not philosophy, not counseling, not worldly wisdom, not success, not materialism, but Jesus alone will unlock the door to Doubting Castle. May we give God the glory as we conclude this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these rich truths that surface in your word. And Lord Jesus, we are greatly encouraged to see the the merciful and gracious way that you respond to a man who is filled with doubt. Thank you for overcoming his objections. Thank you for overcoming our objections. I pray that there is, is one or even more than one this morning who has a series of objections that somewhere along the way you will, through the instrumentality of your word, respond to those objections this morning and perhaps have already responded to those objections. God, I pray that we would be a believing community. May we be willing to sit in the chair. May we be willing to entrust ourselves to a person, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for setting us free from Doubter's Castle. I thank you, God, for the great personal insight that you've given me over the years because of John Bunyan and because of the rich insight you gave him and portraying these two individuals in Doubter's Castle who realized that (coughs) all along they had the key of faith. May we recognize it as well, God. May we live by faith, not by sight. In your son's worthy name we pray. Amen.